We've spent, if you've been with us for a while, we spent this last fall in the book of Luke, um, but we're taking a short break from that series to look into what is called often spiritual disciplines or practices, rhythms and activities that we can engage with in our lives as we seek God. In fact, this series is called Seeking God. Last week, we looked at the, the practice of fasting, and we heard what Jesus had to say about that. And, and this week, we're going to look at the practice of Sabbath rest. We're going to spend about 30 minutes this morning talking about rest. And I'm curious, how many of you are tired? <laughs> Anyone feeling weary? I used the word weary this week for the first time to describe myself. My wife's like, how are you doing? I was like, I'm weary. She's like, but you're preaching on the Sabbath? I was like, okay, well... Doing the best I can. We're only 12 days into the new year, and as it turns out, all of the things that were really tiring in 2017 and 2018 are still there in 2019. I could give you stats about the amount of unused vacation days in the American workforce, or I could tell you about how our smartphones are constantly making us available to the point that we couldn't even quantify our work weeks because we're always available, always reachable, and it's exhausting us. But I don't think you need stats to feel that because you, you probably feel it, don't you? I'm tired and worn out, and I feel it too. In my house, we got a puppy. Okay. Like for Christmas. And uh, so I have three children. They're eight, six, and three years old. And so just as soon as we got out of the diaper phase and the sleepless nights, we brought a dog who barks all night into our household. So no one is sleeping, including myself. I don't know why we got the puppy. I actually have no idea. I realized that I was too young to be a bitter old man because my kids were just asking me constantly, begging me get us a puppy. So we did. And I take care of the dog by myself. It's great. <clears throat> no one's sleeping. A few months ago, Adam told me that we were going to do a short series on spiritual disciplines. And I told him, you know, you should preach on the Sabbath. And he was like, hmm, think about it. And then two weeks later, I'm not kidding you. He, he pulled me in his office. He's like, you're going to preach on the Sabbath. And I said, I actually brought that up so you could help me, but uh, we'll give it a shot. I think we know that we need rest. Our bodies tell us that we need rest. There's a response in our bodies that says you need to rest. And our minds, if we stop and slow down and pay attention, are telling us you need to rest. And the scriptures talk a lot about rest. And when the scriptures, what they tell us, and if there's one thing I want you to take away today, it's this. The scriptures tell us that rest is a gift from God. Rest is actually his gift to us. And the scriptures talk about this practice, this weekly rhythm called the Sabbath, which simply means to cease, to pause, to stop. Much like fasting, Jesus had a lot to say about the Sabbath. In fact, Jesus got into a lot of trouble on the Sabbath. We'll see that today as he sought to um, enrich people's understanding of what rest actually means. It, his life drove a wedge between 
he and religious leaders as he said, here's, here's what rest is all about. And he does that in an amazing way in Mark chapter 2. And we'll start in verse 23. This is God's word to us. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. I want to focus in on a phrase that Jesus said. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, there's, there's a lot we could talk about in this short passage. There um, are many questions that people have about the Sabbath. Not all of them will be answered today. But what I want to say is that Jesus is also affirming that rest is a gift from God. And he does that by going back to the beginning of the biblical story. He goes back to Genesis 2 as he responds to the religious leaders of the day. And he starts to talk about creation. He starts to talk about the order of things. He talks, starts to talk about how God created the world and how he placed rest in that. And he says this in Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Jesus takes the religious leaders back to the beginning of the biblical story to remind them that God himself rested and blessed it as a gift to humanity. But God's different than us, isn't he? God doesn't need rest. God's not a weekend warrior. He's not grinding all week and trying to, um, you know, just get everything done so he can lay by the pool one day a week. God doesn't need rest, but he models it. And we need rest and we often reject it. God says, let me show you how I'd have you live. This morning, I want to talk about why we need rest. Our bodies, as I said earlier, tell us we need rest. Our mind tells us that we need rest. But I want to talk about why the scriptures tell us we need rest. There's, the, there's theological reasons for why we need to rest. And they actually come from the Ten Commandments of all places. This idea of the Sabbath was right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. And maybe you don't know this, but there's two different renderings of the Ten Commandments in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible. We have one in Exodus chapter 20, which we'll look at, and then we have a, another one that's quite similar, but a little bit different in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in those passages, we get two reasons why we need to rest. 
Let's start with Exodus 20 in verse 8. This is, this is God's commandment to his people. He says this. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It sounds a lot like Genesis 2. The first reason that God calls people to rest is because he is creator. God says, what you need to know, what you need to remind yourself of is that I am the creator God. He says, you need to build into your life a rhythm into your week that reminds yourself of that, that declares that. God is essentially saying, you need a break to remind yourself that you're not me. I think that one of our greatest vices in our, in our lives is this control. Our relentless belief that we are actually in control of our destiny, that we're in control of all the outcomes, that we're in control of our work and our production, and that we're in control of the people that are in our lives. And Sabbath tells a different story. Sabbath rest says, in fact, there is a God who's in control. And he's the creator God. He doesn't grow tired and weary. He doesn't need caffeine. But he models this idea of rest, this practice of rest, and you should as well. And so God commands, it's, it's, it's that strong. God actually commands his people, you're going to rest. You must rest. I insist on you resting. And if a different nation were to look into the lives of the Jewish people, they would see evidence, tangible and practical evidence regarding what they believed about God, that he was the creator, that he was their provider, that he was their sustainer, because one day a week they stopped producing and trusted him. It was tangible, it was practical, it was visual, it was part of their lives. And it made them distinct from all the other nations. There was something unique about God's people because of this evidence that they, they put out to the world and that they used to remind themselves. I want to ask a question today. Is there any evidence in your weekly life that God is the creator and that God is the sustainer and that God is your provider? Is there tangible evidence? If somebody looked into your week, would they say, you know what? I can see it. They trust their God. There's a wonderful book on, uh, on the Sabbath. It's called The Rest of God. It's by a man named Mark Buchanan. I love what he says here. I want you to listen to this. He says, The Exodus command with its call to imitation plays on a hidden irony. We mimic God in order to remember we're not God. In fact, that is a good definition of Sabbath. 
imitating God so that we stop trying to be God. And isn't that what we do so often in our life? Our life is evidence that we actually think that we belong on the throne of our lives. And God says, I want you to tell a different story. I want there to be evidence in your life that I'm actually on the throne. Because something happens when we do that. When we rest, here's what happens. When we follow God in his way of rest, our limitations and his sovereign power are both properly placed before us. It's interesting that when we follow God in his way of rest, we become like him. We become more like him. We take on his his character and his ways and his love and his compassion. But when we seek to control our lives, when we seek to be on the throne, we become increasingly less like the God that we serve. And isn't that true? God doesn't need rest, but he says, follow me in this way. And you'll become more of who I've called you to be. So we rest first and foremost because God is the creator. This is true of God's people, but it is no less true of us. He's still the creator. He's still your provider. He's still the one who sustains your life. And so he invites us even now to rest. The second is this. There's another, there's another rendering of the Ten Commandments. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 5. God is he, is the fourth commandment to Sabbath is described. It has a lot of the same wording as, as it does back in, in Exodus. It's, it says the same kinds of things. God says, you're going to rest um, you and your family and the people that work for you and your animals and the people who are living in your land. I want everybody to rest. And then he says, and here is why. In verse 15, it says this, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. The second reason why God commands his people to rest is because God is their savior. First is that God's their creator, but but second, he says, you need to remind yourself regularly who has saved you. In Israel's history, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. It's an incredibly long time. The Declaration of Independence was signed less than 250 years ago. In the ways that we um, often now um, measure generations, this 400 years would have been at least 15, if not 20 generations of people, one generation after the next, slaves, brickmakers, consistently told by the Pharaoh, the the grand taskmaster, that this is actually all that you're good for. This is actually all that you bring to the table as human beings is you make bricks. So there was no time for a day off because there was a lot of bricks to be made. And God's people lived this way for centuries until God delivered them 
He brought them out of slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He saved them. He redeemed them. He restored them. And then what did he do? He gave them the Sabbath. He gave them the Sabbath to renew their sense of humanity. Perhaps they'd lost it. Perhaps they'd forgotten what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be God's people? You can lose that when you're stuck in slavery for that long. And God says, I'm commanding you to rest because you need to be retrained. Your minds and your hearts and your bodies need to be reprogrammed so that you can see and live in the freedom that I've actually given you. My question for you today is who or what are the taskmasters in your life? Who or what is telling you you can't stop, you can't shut off for a day? Who or what is saying that to you? Who's telling you that you can never take a break, that there's no room for rest? Maybe you're telling yourself that. And doesn't that sound a lot like Egypt? God's people were brought out by him and him alone. And he said, you're not slaves anymore. You're not just brick makers. The truth is, though, is that we're enslaved to all sorts of kinds of things. All sorts of things that keep us from rest. I was thinking um, this these last couple weeks about this sermon. And one of the things that happens to me because I love music so much is that I get songs stuck in my head. And I got this song stuck in my head. It's a few years old. The last service, nobody knew this song, but it's called Ain't No Rest for the Wicked. I caged the elephant. No one. Good. Good. It continues. I will tell you what the song is about and maybe you can listen to it later. I should go on record as saying this is not a worship song. And you'll figure that out really quickly. So the singer in this song is um, he's telling a story about three different interactions he has with people throughout the day. And the first person he has interaction with is a prostitute. Again, we're not singing this song during communion. But he's walking down the street and, and a prostitute, I don't know, she like hollers at him. You know, she's looking for work. She's looking for money. And so she calls out to him and, and he responds to her by saying, why are you living this way? And she says, there ain't no rest for the wicked. He goes on. 15 minutes later, he gets jumped by a man with a gun. The man with the gun says this. He says, I'm not looking to fight. Give me your money. And so the singer says back, he says, you can have my cash, but I got to ask, why are you living your life this way? Because there ain't no rest for the wicked until we close our eyes for good. So after this, he goes home and he turns on the television and uh, he turns on, turns on the news. And who does he see on the, on the news? He sees a preacher man in handcuffs. Like I said, this is not Caleb. This is not. Um, <laughs> there's a preacher in handcuffs who was taking money from the church. And the singer starts to reflect and he says, maybe we're all the same. Ain't no rest for the wicked until we close our eyes for good. I would have played the song for you, but it's super upbeat and you lose the tragedy in the whole thing. We can be enslaved to all sorts of things. If you're offended by 
me quoting that song, I will now quote from St. Augustine who said this, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And isn't that true? And isn't that true? Isn't, isn't it true that the things we do, there's all sorts of things that enslave us. And wouldn't you say that we need a regular reminder of what God has done for us? We need a tangible reminder that we've been set free. Anybody with me? We need that reminder. We need to live into that freedom. And so God gave his people a gift, and he was dead serious about it. He commanded them, you will rest. What a gift. Now, like I said before, there's, there's not a lot of time today. I know there's a lot of debates about the Sabbath and its place in our lives and in our world today, and I can't enter into all of those debates, but I'll just ask this question. Is there any reason why we wouldn't need to remind ourselves that God is creator and God is savior? Is there any reason why we should do away with those truths? Don't we need it? Don't our lives and our culture move it in a different direction? And so we would do well and we would be wise to embrace the sort of rhythm that God called his people into. What would that do to us? How would that reshape our thinking? How would that reshape the way that we work and the way that we stop working and, and the way we relate to one another? I think it would have a profound impact on us. And so simply today, I am going to argue that we should embrace Sabbath rest. And I want this morning to give you an encouragement and a warning regarding that. And the first is, is this encouragement. I'd simply want to encourage you to receive God's gift. Don't say no. Don't say no to the gift that God offers. And we do this so often. We refuse his gift. I was reflecting on the story of, of Israel after they'd been um, redeemed, after they'd been freed, the exodus. Almost, almost immediately, they start to say, ah, gosh, it was, it was better back in Egypt. Like almost immediately, they begin to say, I don't, I don't know if we can live in this rest and reliance with manna and God's provision and trust. You know, we actually could kind of have a little bit of a sense of control and maybe even a little bit of sense of comfortability when we lived back in Egypt. We kind of knew how things were going. And isn't it weird how nostalgic we are about the things that God has freed us from? Even today, we're God says, I freed you from that. And you're like, well, I mean, the, the addiction was, you know, a, it kind of worked for me. And God says, I freed you from that. So this morning, I want to encourage you to receive God's gift. The second is this, and it's a warning. And it's something that God needed to remind us of. It's something that Jesus often reminded people of, but it's this. He says, don't turn God's gift into a burden. We need to receive God's gift, but it's actually possible that we take the gift of God and turn it into a burden. And that brings us right back to our passage in Mark 
chapter 2. I invite you to turn back there this morning. <coughs> Jesus and his disciples are in trouble. They're in trouble with religious people. And, and to bring us back into the story we were in, they're walking through the fields and they're picking grain. Why? It's very simple. They're hungry. And the religious people, the Pharisees, say to them, you know, they say to Jesus, said, your, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath. They're doing work right now on this day where God commanded us to rest. I think there's probably a big, if you've ever thought about Sabbath, um, there's probably a, a big question that, that we're asking ourselves often. And, and actually in Jesus' day, they were asking the same question. And the question is, what, it, what actually is work? What are the things that are work? Now in, in the 10 Commandments, both in Exodus and Deuteronomy, God is effectively vague in describing what work is. He, he simply says, I want you to cease from work. Now, this would include, uh, almost certainly, this would include someone's occupation. So if, you, if your job is to be a fisherman on the Sabbath, you would not fish. Um, regarding the home, if this would include that on the Sabbath, you would take a break from housework and take a break from chores. But really, it's actually kind of open-ended when you read God's command to rest. He doesn't he doesn't define it very well. Or at least he doesn't define it very specifically. And because we almost never know what to do with the freedom God gives us, the religious leaders took it on themselves to really, really define what work is. And so they created 39 categories of what work was. And so they would say things like, and this isn't in the Bible, this is man's commands. They would say things like, on the Sabbath, you cannot walk with a sewing needle in your pocket because that is work. It's also very foolish to walk with needles, I think. Or they would say that you could only tie a knot if it could be untied with one hand on the Sabbath. And we think these things are funny. And I, but, but here's the thing. This was a genuine attempt to honor God. This was a, God's, like, I'll say this. God's dead serious about the Sabbath when you read the scriptures. He's really serious about it. And so they would say, if, if he's this serious, then it must mean that there's a very, very rigid list of activities that we can actually do and the list of the things that we can't do. It's got to be vast. It's got to be huge. And they say this to Jesus and Jesus responds with a story. He starts to tell them, he's like, remember David? You know, David, the guy, he's probably arguably the most famous Israelite ever. He says, let me tell you a story about David. When David was about to become king, He's actually fleeing from the current king, which was Saul, and he finds himself in a situation where he and his men are starving. And so they ask for bread from a priest. And a priest says, the only bread that I have is the holy bread. Now, the holy bread could only be eaten by a priest. And David says, and I'm paraphrasing a, lo a longer story, so just forgive me, but David says, that'll do. We'll take that. And David and his men eat that bread and Jesus says, you know, God didn't smite David and his men for eating the holy bread on the Sabbath. And yet you're telling us we can't pick grain 
on the Sabbath. What is he doing? Jesus is, he, this, here's what he's doing. He's saying, here's what was going on in, in David's story. He's saying, David and his men were hungry. And also he's saying, David is the future king. So he had authority. And Jesus says, me and my disciples are hungry. Oh, by the way, the Sabbath is a gift to you. And then the third thing is this. He says, I'm actually the Lord of the Sabbath. What is he saying? He says, I'm actually the true king. I actually have the authority to tell you how to rest. More than anything, this day of rest, this Sabbath um, ritual, this Sabbath rhythm that was built into God's people's lives, Jesus is saying, that was pointing to me. All of it pointed to me. Jesus is saying, I am actually the gift. I am actually the giver. And the rest that you need is only found in me. The exodus from, G- from um The exodus from Egypt was a huge project. And what is Jesus saying? I'm actually here to save the whole world from their sins. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The creation of the cosmos and the earth, also a huge project. But Jesus is saying, I'm here for a new creation. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus takes on those themes and says, you can find your true rest in me. What is perhaps the most famous call from Jesus? It comes in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight. It's these words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, if you find your rest in me, if you take on my life, it's a burden that won't crush you. Because isn't it possible to take God's gift and turn it into a burden? Isn't it possible to take almost anything and turn it into a burden? And what protects us from that is Sabbath, is rest. The Sabbath was a shadow, and Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I'm actually the light of the world. Jesus is saying, the law of the Sabbath, the commandment to Sabbath has been fulfilled in me. You're seeing it on display right now. Jesus is saying, it's it's been fulfilled. It was all pointing to me. But I can't help but believe that Jesus is saying, there's still wisdom in it, though. It's not law, but it's wise. Is there any way that Jesus would say, I, now that I'm here, I want you to just be exhausted all the time. There's no way that Jesus would say that to his followers because almost all he talks about is rest. Almost all he talks about is the freedom that he offers. And don't you think that that principle of, of a weekly rhythm where you stop and you cease Don't you think that that would continue to be wise? I am unashamedly going to encourage you to embrace Sabbath rest in your life as a rhythm, something that you do to live into the freedom that God has given you, to live into the reality that God is your creator, 
and that you are not God. This morning, I want to give you four words to help you as you consider how to practice Sabbath rest in your life. The first word is this, time. Let me write that word down, time. Sabbath rest is about time. It's about carving out time that is qualitatively different than the rest of your week. A person once said that Sabbath is a sanctuary of time. For some of you, Sunday is a great day for that. Sunday could be a great day for you to, to practice Sabbath. For me, it's not. Right now, I'm working. You're watching me work. And uh, some of you think pastors don't work. You're watching me work. Okay. What I'm going to suggest is that, is that a large portion of time is helpful and necessary. Six to eight hours, or at least an entire day, perhaps, where you would pause from whatever you identify in your life as your regular work. And it's not in a rigid way. Nobody's going to police you on this. And I understand that there's some things that, that, are, that are work that we can't rest for. I'm talking about your children. I'm talking about my children. It's not like ship them off for a day and have a Sabbath. No. Um, I'm talking about carving out time in your actual regular week that is evidence to what you believe about God and what you believe that he's done for you. Carve out time. That's the first thing. The second word that I want to give you today is practice. I think that Sabbath, if it's, if it's foreign to us, it's, gonna be, it's actually going to be really hard work to rest. Don't you think? It flies in the face of the sensibilities of our, of our culture, and it's, it's hard to do. The moment you start to rest, all your compulsive activities will like flare up in you. You'll realize, I check my email every five minutes. Why do I, like, why do, I do that? Why do I always need to know what's happening in the news? Why do I always need to be available to the people that I work with? Those types of things will flare up when you start to practice rest. But I think that rest, like practicing the piano or working on your jump shot, takes practice that you could actually get better at it. So that's the second word, practice. The third word is this, delight. Sabbath has always been about delight. There was never a period in, in God's um, redemptive story where he intended that Sabbath would be like drudgery or that it would just be like once a week where you can check out. The Sabbath was about delight. It was about joy. Along the way, perhaps it was, it was lost, but God said, I want you to experience delight and joy, and so I'm going to call you to rest. I think our invitation as we consider what Sabbath rest would look like in our life is to simply ask the question, what are the things that I delight in? For me, it's, it's running, it's um, drinking coffee, taking a walk with my kids and our puppy, visiting with friends, reading a book, date night. Maybe for some of you it's to take a nap. <laughs> That's fine. What are the things, what are the activities that you could fill your day with that would lead you to a deeper sense of gratitude and worship of the God who loves you? 
Sabbath is about delight. And the fourth word is this, moments. I actually think that one day a week is not enough. Six days of, of just relentless work and then one day where you, that you stumble into and collapse, that, that can't be what, what God's after. He's calling us into moments of rest. What would it look like to start your day in God's word, filling your mind and your heart with those same truths that Sabbath was intended to do? There's, there's a creator and he's actually with me. There's a savior and he's actually for me. What would it look like to fill your morning with that truth? And then to go on into your day and create other moments of Sabbath rest, other moments where you train yourself to think this company is not sustained by my efforts. These children will not be saved by my efforts. There's a God and he's greater and he's able and he's here and he's present. What would it look like for your day to be filled with all of these Sabbath moments of rest so that when you came to your Sabbath day, you would have already been living in that reality and you could simply enjoy who God is and what he's done for you. That, I think, is what God's calling us to today. That, I think, is the way of Jesus. Certainly, his arrival wouldn't cause us to be less restful and to do away with those things. It would actually fulfill them and in a new way because our true rest is found in relationship with him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of rest. We thank you for the gift of time. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We want to know him. We want to become like him. We want to follow him in all of his ways. But we're weary and we're tired and we're wandering so often. And so what a gift it is today to experience this moment of rest together. What a gift it, it is today, even right now, to take a moment in silence to thank you for who you are, to thank you for what you've done, and even to pause, Lord, are the things in our lives that we never rest from. God, would you lead us by your spirit to follow your way, the way of rest, to follow your son who offers that rest to us. In his name we pray, amen.